The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of The Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and also on iTunes. It's our first show for 2015. Lou's back. I'm back. We're ready to go. But before we get into our cavalcade of topics today. Ooh, cavalcade, big word. Isn't it? Yeah. I like uh, it. I'm going to read a brief story to get us into our first topic, which is the Hall of Fame. Of course, the voting just happened, and four members of uh, pretty much our generation are going in. So, when you talk about things that make you feel old, that's one of them. For yes, me. yes, it is. When that Randy Johnson's in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> and Pedro Martinez, yeah, and John Smoltz, and Craig Bishop. <laughs> now that we've covered all four of them, the password is. <laughs> It was a beautiful day in Clearwater for a spring training game between the Yankees and the Phillies about four or five years ago. Uh, myself and Mr. Joe Oriema, the former co-host of this podcast, ran into Gary Matthews Sr. in the radio booth down there in Clearwater. He was taking a break from doing his color analyst job and stopped in to just relax. We exchanged pleasantries, and then we proceeded to talk to the very successful former Major League outfielder. Steroid use was a hot-button topic at the time, as it still is today, and we knew his son was mentioned in the Mitchell Report. The topic wasn't the first to come up because we didn't want to upset him. We didn't know how he felt about his son being implicated. I wanted to get his input, though. I needed to know what a former prosperous, passionate, clean player thought of the mess of steroids and HGH entering the game he loved. The question back then, now, and for years to come in regards to steroids is almost indiscriminately attached to Hall of Fame debate. So I asked him point blank if these guys with clouds of doubt surrounding them should gain entrance to the hallowed halls in Cooperstown. His response was simply yes. And then he paused, looked out into the clear blue sky as the action was going on beneath us and continued, if they build a poop wing. He didn't say poop. That response has stuck with me ever since. I still get a chuckle. Every time I tell the story, I was right there alongside him. I would be the Sundance to his butch standing guard at the gates where legends live, not letting them sniff baseball immortality. I've softened on this a bit, though. I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but who is at fault here? Is it the players? Well, they, they did the stuff. I've said it once, and I will say it again. If my friends and I were 13 to 17 years old in high school in the late 80s and early 90s, and we clearly saw players... That didn't look natural. How can eyebrows not be raised? People can't be that naive, can they? We let it happen back then, and now we want to act all high and mighty about it? The fault lies with baseball and the people who ran it with blinders affixed appropriately. Baseball deserves all the nonsense they are putting up with right now. The fingers shouldn't be glaringly pointed at the accused players alone. They should also be pointing like the grim reaper at the dignitaries that did nothing during the rebirth. The strike soured a lot of people from the game in 1994. What helped bring them back? 1998. Remember the great home run chase? It was great drama. Baseball couldn't tell then? It could. It just let it happen and keep happening because the fannies were going back into the seats. Here's my solution. We should allow entrance to those who are Hall of Fame worthy. How do we do it? We build a new section of the Hall of Fame. We can't call it the poop wing. That wouldn't be kid-friendly. However, we can induct these players with clouds of suspicion by etching steroid era into their plaques. I feel in my heart most of these guys who have been implicated without hard evidence were great ball players before they allegedly put anything into their bodies. They also helped revive their sport when it was struggling after the strike. 
Also, when it's running rampant in clubhouses everywhere and you could lose your job to the guy next to you because he's taking it and you aren't, I can see someone getting desperate enough to do it. Is that the right thing to do? No, of course not. It's that old gag parents used to pull. If your friend jumps off the Brooklyn Bridge, are you going to? But desperate times call for desperate measures, especially when you're dealing with someone's way of life. My argument has always been Don Mattingly started to decline like a normal human being and didn't put any of that mess in his system. Who knows what HGH could have done for that bulky back of his? He could have maybe gotten another four or five solid years and made the Hall of Fame. He didn't use, though, and he remains on the outside looking in. This was the last year his name appeared on the ballot. There's always the Veterans Committee, Donnie. And... Let he who hath not sinned cast the next empty ballot. So w- with that being said, I, I really surprised myself when-, when I started thinking about this after the vote came in because I started to look at some players who are in question here. And the first one that I want to discuss is Jeff Bagwell. Now, I-, I just went to Hall of Fame second baseman, okay? Our first baseman, I'm sorry. Hall of Fame first baseman. And I wanted to see how he compared to someone who's pretty much his caliber of numbers, okay? Okay. So Orlando Cepeda, all right? They each batted 297. Bagwell had a higher on-base percentage, over 400, higher slugging percentage. Cepeda has more hits, but, you know, 37 more hits. It's a negligible number. Yeah. Bagwell has, you know, 20, 31. He's got about... 80 more home runs. Uh, He's got more RBI. He's got more runs scored. And he has more stolen bases by 50. Sorry, 60. Does he have a significant advantage in games played or no? I I did not. That's something that's, you know, but that wasn't my point. My point is it goes back to what I said in my little rant there, if you want to call it that. I just think that era – it was just the culture. It, it, you know, I, I don't want to say everybody mm-hmm. did it. Everybody probably didn't do it. But there's so much suspicion. There's so much doubt. There's, there's this huge cloud. And if you're asking me, I'm thinking the cloud, it's not, you know, late 90s. I think this started in the late 80s. Yeah, I think this so-called steroid era or PED era, whatever you want to call it, if you want to be politically correct about it, 89? Had to be. 88, 89? Yeah, around, right around there. The Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco yes. glory days till 2007, 8, when, right. when they started getting cracking right. down. So and, a good 20, and, you 20 know, years. Everybody has their issues with Jose <laughs> Canseco, but at least the guy, and it was probably for profit's sake, but he came out and he admitted it at least. He's one of the ones that admitted it. All these other guys run from it. And I'm telling you right now, if Jose Canseco admitted to doing it, chances are <laughs> there were other members, you know, Jose not Canseco's, only the A's, but other teams that were doing this stuff. Many people will, will question Jose Canseco's mental state, period. So, you know, read his Twitter account for more. But yeah, I, I get it. He but, used the Jose Canseco bet. Oh, boy. Tell me. You need money for this. Another one that comes into play, yes. Another one that comes into play is Mike Piazza. Oh, yeah. Um, Should be in the Hall of Fame. Will be next year. Just saying. Now, look. I I did this with Carlton Fisk. 
I'm not saying Mike Piazza was the defensive catcher that Carlton Fisk was by any stretch of the imagination. No. Okay? But Mike Piazza. <clears throat> but defense also doesn't really get you in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. Mike, right. It's your offensive numbers. Right. But I didn't want to say Piazza Fisk and have someone be listening to this saying, are you out of your mind? No. That's yeah. not what I was saying. Piazza has better average OBP and slugging percentage. You ready for this? Better than Carlton Fisk. Better than Johnny Bench. Better than Yogi Berra. Better than Gary Carter. Better than Campanella. Roy Campanella, for crying out loud. He's got better average OBP slugging than all of those players. And they're all in the Hall of Fame. Now, Fisk played 24 seasons until he was 45. Mm -hmm. Remember the Jimmy Key Sports Center commercial? Mm -hmm. Well, he was actually 45. Jimmy Key wasn't 45, but Carlton Fisk was. He was. When he stopped playing. So 24 years. He, he only has maybe – I'm not good at math, so I'm going to give you estimations here. The numbers are right in front of me, and I can't do subtraction. Uh, God help my children when I have to help them with their math homework. But like 200 more runs Fisk has. It's 228. Thank you. He's showing me up right to my face. 228 more runs, eight more years he played. He's got five less ribbies. Then Piazza, and mm -hmm. he played eight more years. And Carlton Fisk was a middle-of-the-order hitter he was. for most of his career. Right. It's not like he was hitting ninth. No. Like, uh, you know, not like he was the backup catcher on the Twins. He leads catchers, does Fisk, in the Hall of Fame with ribbies with 2,356. But that's only 200 and change. Or that's hits. Sorry, not did I say ribbies? Yeah, hits. I, I meant hits. That's only yeah, 200, plus. 200 and change more than Piazza. And remember, Fisk played eight more years. And, of course, I mentioned the average, the on-base, and the slugging, mm -hmm. all better for Piazza. He deserves to be and, in the Hall of Fame. And let's be fair to this, too. You can say Piazza spent his last year or two as a primary DH, but Fisk played the majority of his career in the DH era. He did. So you can't even – No, you can't make that argument. When he was 25 and playing for the Red Sox and, and willing the ball fair in the World Series, yeah. he could catch every day because he was young. When he was – 45 and playing for the White Sox, he could DH every now and again. So you can't even use that argument. Because I know somebody would also say that, well, Piazza DH'd for two years. You can't even use that argument either. So I, I, think, I think Piazza should be in. I think Bagwell should be in. I, I do. I mean, if the numbers are there, they're there. Yeah. As far as Roger Clemens, as far as Barry Bonds go, as far as Mark McGuire goes, I, I just think... Now, look, it's alleged. All these accusations are, mm -hmm. are alleged. Mm -hmm. But these guys, I think before their alleged use, were extremely good baseball players. Barry Bonds was a 30-30 guy. He was a 400-400 guy yeah. before. Yeah. I, I, you he know, was a string bean, and then he became the Incredible Hulk, so everyone thinks he was using. Uh, I, he, I, he's a bad example because of that, but you yes. know where I'm getting at. I, and look, again, it, it, it pains me to have this kind of feeling <laughs> because of a Don Mattingly who didn't turn to this stuff and try to make his career longer and, yeah. and, and, and help his back. I don't even know if it could have helped his back. You know, I'm not a doctor, but maybe it could have. Maybe yeah. he could have had three or four more years where they could have added to the five really solid ones that he had. Or he could have had three or four better years than he did in 92, 93, 94, 95. 
once his back went south. He could. I mean, he was he was an MVP in the in the mid eighties. Could have kept that form had he had a little bit of help. Yeah, and, I'll use the word help. And and he didn't. No. And 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 he doesn't gain entrance. So you know, the old me says, well, these guys shouldn't gain entrance either. But I, I think, and I don't know how these guys would react to it. But I don't really care. I mean, if you want to be in the Hall of Fame on your plaque, it's going to say steroid era, and, and you guys are going to have to deal with it now. Making the nice little segue here, I, I, I want to say just how much Johnson and Martinez deserve mm. to be in that Hall of Fame and, and Smoltz, too. And Glavin and Maddox and, and the guys Glavin that got in last year, too. Right. They pitched during this era. Mm-hmm. They were the – oh, my goodness. The numbers mm-hmm. are just ridiculous. I, I saw a friend on Facebook who basically went up one side and down the other side of Smoltz, how he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And and I read his comment, and I kind of said, well, I mean, he might have a little bit of an argument there. I mean, we we were basing all these starting pitchers to get into the Hall of Fame. You know, the first criteria that you, like, immediately look to is 300 300 wins. wins. Yeah, That's going to change. It should because there's nobody in baseball right now that's going to get there. That's going to get there anytime soon. So, all, all see all these criteria, they're eras. They're they're through eras, mm-hmm. and, and they, they're going to come down. Do you think a first baseman out there? Do you think Jeff Bagwell could sniff Lou Gehrig? Can you think anyone in the Hall of Fame could sniff Lou Gehrig? No, and Lou Gehrig today would would have seven hundred home runs. He was a beastly bulging man. He's a large, he's a large fella with a blue leisure suit. A gentleman of larger carriage. Ding. Christmas vacation. Yes, um, <laughs> but he, he was not in the jelly of the month. No, but these guys, there there is no way you could have any argument. About any of these pitchers who did what they did. Look at Glavin. 305 wins. A career ERA just over three and a half. Over 2,600 strikeouts. Two Cy Youngs. Five 20-plus win seasons. Three straight years he had 20 wins. 91 (laughs) through 93, 98, and 2000. Not coincidentally, the beginning and the end of the Braves dynasty. Yeah. Just unbelievable. And, and it's not like those – I mean the Braves teams back then, they had pop. I mean they had a decent lineup. But – Well, think about this. The Yankees in 96 beat three Hall of Fame pitchers and a Hall of Twitter. Fame manager, yeah. as you said. Yeah. Yes. It's, it just makes – it takes 96 and, and the predicament the Yankees were in, down 0-2. At the track. Going to Atlanta and sweeping Atlanta in Atlanta – with the power of Jim Laritz's bomb against Mark Wallers, he... That's why Jim Laritz will forever be one of my childhood heroes. Yeah. He yeah. knows that, too. He gets a kick out of it. The king. He's a good guy. Yes, I like he Jim. is. Um, Mark Wallers went with the slider. One of our... <laughs> Big one, mistake. One of the potential runners-up for our all-forgotten team that we did on .com. Mark Wallers. Mark absolutely. Wallers was a Yankee for yes. a small period of time. Yes, he was. But back to these guys who, who just got in. Now, Smoltz. 209 wins. Then reinvented himself as a reliever, a closer, had 154 saves. Not even reinvented himself. It was because of his arm. Well, yeah. Well, he went back. He yeah. came back from the injury. And yeah. Tommy John. He's the first ever Tommy John recipient in the Hall of Fame, by the way. There you go. Just per our research guru, Jeff Quagliata. Hear that, kids? Tuesday. There's hope. 
Keep throwing those curveballs. Tommy John's league. not even. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, he should be. Well, I, I tried to make the point because I saw what my friend said, Rob Ryan. I'm calling you out there. How, how many? Now, how many years did it take for him to get those 154 saves? He was a closer for like five years, right? I think it was three years. Three years. Uh, he had 55, 45, and 44. That was the bulk of his saves. Okay. Yeah. So three years. We'll give him four because he had the Tommy John. That was John. all of his saves, yeah. We'll give him four years because of the Tommy John. 15-30. We'll give him 15 wins a year. It's 270 if he stays a starter. Yeah. So he's right there on the he, cusp he, of that magical yeah, threshold. He, he's right there. And, you know, you have guys on like Bobby Cox and you, ha- and you hear from Jim Leland. <clears throat> and, and Leland said – I'm glad Johnny got in because he's one, probably one of the biggest big game pitchers I ever managed against. Mm-hmm. Bobby Cox, delighted that Smoltz got in, and he, and he says he deserves to be in. I, I kind of fall into that as well. I mean, the guy won 24 games. Uh, he had a 17-win season, a 16-win season, three 15-win seasons, four 14-win seasons, 12 and 11. Yeah. And, and then he comes back from Tommy John, and he has 154 seats. And he's an all-star closer. Yeah, and then goes back to being a starter afterwards. Yeah, I, I just uh, – Rob, I, I disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree. It would be a great episode of Sports Force down at WGLS if we were still down there. But uh, That's why you can't take just numbers into account when it comes to the Hall of Fame because, you know, you said that magical 300 number. No one's going to get there. Mike Messina, I think, is going to be the martyr that gets the bar lowered to even 270 because – I mean, you can't deny that Moose, for the majority of his career with the Orioles and then the first four years with the Yankees, five, even longer, was one of the best pitchers in the American League the entire time. And where where did he do it all? In the the AL AL East. In the steroid era. Yep. And he only won 270. Because the game, you know, towards the end of his career, he was a five, six inning pitcher. I'm drawing a blank. How many games did he win in his last year? Oh, um, 18 plus two. 20. Yeah. First time in his career. And I remember watching that game as, as a kid. At Fenway. And by as a kid, I mean 28. Yeah, 28. Um, I, but I remember specifically watching that game. It was the first time the Yankees hadn't made the playoffs in 15 years. And everybody was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And it was Sunday Night Baseball. I'm like, no, I'm going to watch it. Moose has a shot at 20. And by George, he got it. Yeah, I think I think maybe some people look at like Greg Maddox with 355 wins and 17 consecutive 15-plus win seasons. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> for the love of God. And the guy had a fastball that wouldn't break a pane of glass for no. the majority of his career. No. It's not like he was Randy Johnson. No, he wasn't. He was a pitcher. And – Pretty much his entire career and, he was a pitcher. And and those of us who were are roughly our age and grew up in this area who had TBS as kids, you know, you, you probably watched a handful of Braves games when they were good, especially in the leaner years of Yankee Yankee lore. Uh-huh. It was fun to watch Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Steve Avery go out there. I went I went to a Maddox Doc Gooden Yankee game at the old stadium. Oh. It was over in two hours. Yeah. And it was probably it was probably one nothing with both guys throwing a three hitter. And the Braves won. I yeah. think it was two nothing. Yeah. 
and two nothing Braves. And Doc Gooden probably threw a three hitter, three hitter with twelve strikes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it was two hours. The game was a very manageable two hours. But I, I think people. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I yeah. think people see those numbers like Maddox, see the numbers like Glavin, and then look at Smoltz and say, "Well, wait a minute. These guys. If this is the bar you're setting to be in the Hall of Fame." Then he's short. Yeah. But you can't look at – you can't just look at the numbers. Then why is Troy Percival on the ballot? Anyway, right. I'll get into that later. Well, anyway, you can't – that was my point. You can't, and let me just tell a really quick Maddox story, which is Do it. tremendous. <clears throat> Leo Mazzoni's on MLB Network Radio, mm-hmm. and they're talking about Maddox. You made the Hall of Fame last year. And Walt Weiss, member of the Braves, stop me if you heard this. No, I haven't. No. Weiss, Weiss gets plunked. Um. Bring that to me, man. A little bit, little bit longer in the game, another Brave gets plunked, and it's all quiet in the dugout. And Maddox is pitching, and Mazzoni says Maddox just doesn't even turn his head and says, Walter, is it time? And Weiss just said, yes, Gregory, it's time. And the next inning, he went out there and he plunked somebody. <laughs> but, but that right there, just Walter, is it time? Probably said in a British accent, too, just for effect. Probably. Walter, is it time? Oh, my goodness. Love. Just, I, I, I almost drove off the road when I Governor, that story. Governor, yeah. I'm going to hit him in the ribs, Governor. I'm, I'm easily amused. But anyway, I thought that was a great story. That's funny. So here's Biggio. Who many people, including Francesa, think is a collector. All right, so I have I have a rebuttal for that. You 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 give me what you got. I'm just and I'll give you, you what I got. I'm giving you a second baseman <clears throat> baseline for a Hall of Famer, and it's a tough one. Rod, second baseman catcher, Rod Carew. Okay, he converted. He converted. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, career three twenty eight hitter, mm-hmm. Biggio two eighty one. Uh, Carew obviously not going to have the home runs that Biggio had. He had ninety two. Biggio had nearly three hundred. Um, Carew struck out 1,028 times, uh, Biggio 1,753 times in 326 more at bats. Uh, happens. Carew was the MVP of 1977, beat out our Kenny Singleton that year, who was in second place. Look out. Uh, <laughs> Crew was over 315 of his 19 years in the league and had 3,053 hits. So Crew was basically Derek Jeter 30 years ago. Pretty much, yeah. He yeah. was Derek Jeter at second base. Mm-hmm. Um, Imagine that as a keystone combo, Crew and Jeets in their primes. My goodness. My goodness. As a one-two hitters playing that kind of defense because oh. Carew was a pretty good defensive second baseman too. Pretty much just call the middle of your infield Dyson. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is getting through. Yeah. Uh, and Hoover out there at short. Yeah. Dyson and Hoover. And I can't think of a first baseman's name who's a vacuum cleaner. I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Shark. Dyson to Hoover to Shark. I don't know who makes the Shark vacuum cleaner. Anyway. Let's I have pre- one. It's good. Let's press on. It is good. Uh, Biggio just four years <laughs> over 320 seasons. Um, I don't know. I mean, here's what I'm going to say. You give me your argument. Here's what I'm going to say about Craig Biggio. Compiler. People say he's he's a compiler. He played 22 years, 20 years, 22 years, something like that. 3,000 hits. Let me give you the baseline. That 3,000 hits is 150 hits a year for 20 years. So by by logic, by definition. Anyone in the 3,000-hit club is pretty much a compiler. 
Yeah. Even if you have 200 hits a year, 3,000 divided by 200 is still 10, 15. You know who's a rabid compiler? <clears throat> Who? Ichiro. Yeah. <laughs> 4,000. <laughs> Seriously, Ichiro, <laughs> go home. You're, you're spoiling for the yeah, rest of us. Yeah. Um, I hope somebody signs him soon, by the way. Anyway, uh, even at 200 hits a year, that's 15 seasons of doing that. That's pretty damn good. So 20 years of 15 of 150 is still pretty darn good. Craig Biggio, his second to last year, hit 26 home runs. As a 39-year-old second baseman, Playing in Houston, in the in the NL Central, not exactly the not exactly the most cavernous ballparks in the world, but still, guy hit twenty six home runs. He hit two sixty. He was basically Mark Teixeira numbers wise, his second to last year. What Mark Teixeira did last year as a first baseman, Craig Biggio did as a second thirty nine year old second baseman in his second to last year in the league. I, I, he was still a highly productive player in that spot. Well, then why isn't Bagwell in? I have no idea because it's a flawed system is my only answer, but I have no idea. I, I, I don't know if you saw Jack Curry's ballot. I did. But they I, should both be in. But I was on board with everything that he had on that ballot. I, I'm just not sure because well, you have some of these writers who, who I, sell their votes to Deadspin well, like Dan Levitard. But – here, here's where I think the problem is. Is it the Hall of Fame or is it the Hall of Really Good? That's See, that's what I look at. When I go to the <laughs> Hall of Fame, and I've been there three or four times, and when I go in there and I see some of these numbers by some of these players that are – you know that, that should have set the common denominator of what it means to be a Hall of Famer. And then you have these guys that you know are on the ballot now, and you're looking like – they don't. They can't shine that guy's shoes. Well, why? Why are they going into the Hall of Fame? See, I think part of it is now that they have the ten-year restriction. I think is a little going to help that a little bit because here's an honest question that nobody can answer you with one solid answer. What made Burt Blylevin a Hall of Famer on his thirteenth try? That didn't make him a Hall of Famer on one through twelve. And why? What was, made Jim Rice? I was just going to say Hall of Jim Famer Rice. on his was it fourteen? Because it was beat writers holding a grudge against the guy, and that's something that shouldn't happen. If you're a Hall of Famer when you're first on that ballot, you're a Hall of Famer. Just because a guy blew you off for an interview doesn't mean you yeah. keep him off the damn ballot for thirteen there's, years. There's guys I, now. I'm no, by no means a beat writer. I'm by no means a. Any anyone you want to pick from, you know, the Bill Maddens and Ken Davidoffs and like Net, Tyler Kepners and national writers of the world, on down to the guy who covers the Twins for like the St. Paul College, Community College Press. I'm by no means any of them. There are guys in Major League and basketball locker rooms that I don't particularly find pleasant to talk to. If they came up for candidacy for Hall of Fame and I had a vote, I'm not going to be like, well, he was kind of mean to me, so I'm not going to vote for him. Uh, you know what? No, I, that's wrong, man. I know it's wrong, but then there's guys who, and, and I'm going to be fair. I love, we sit next to Jack O'Connell in the press box, the secretary uh-huh. treasurer of BBWA uh-huh. and him and I have this combo all the time because I'm lobbying to well, try to become part of the BBWAA. Joey we had, said he was, he, he's a great guy. Yeah, Jack is one. Jack is wonderful. Came on Doug and I's podcast last year to talk about the fact that no one got in the hall or a year ago or two years ago, that no one two got in the hall of fame, yeah. you know? Things like that, and it was before Maddox and, and Glavin were elected. I can't believe that was two years ago already. 
It, wonderful guy, and you know because of the website and the Yankees conflict of interest. There's reasons why I'm not in the BBWAA. But in talking to him, like even he presents points as like, well, you know, it's the way the system is. There's guys that haven't watched baseball in years. I, I'm going to use Dan Lebetard as an example because he's the hot button name because he sold his vote to Deadspin. And to be fair, when Deadspin pulled their readers last year, they actually put up a pretty cogent ballot. Like it was, it wasn't like they voted for Aaron Boone and Jim Edmonds. Mm. But Dan Lebetard hasn't probably watched a baseball game as a beat writer in a decade, but he's got a vote. So then, why does he have a vote? Our own Jack Curry has a vote. Hasn't been a beat writer in a few years, but is in that studio watching every game. Every game sees every Yankee game. Has you know has a scorebook going he back years vote. to every game. Right. That that kind of guy should still get to vote. Yes. Someone like you know. Lebetard or, you know, Kurt Schilling or like one of the ESPN personality or somebody who's like just basically a television personality at this point. Maybe, you know, may, maybe not the best voting block, but that's one of there's there's probably a dozen reasons why the Hall of Fame voting is a sham, as some people will say. But the problem is, if you fix one, there's still 11 others that are they're on the ballot too long. Well, These, let, too many people vote. Let me ask my blah, question blah, blah. a different way to you. I said Hall of Fame or Hall of Really Good, hmm. right? <clears throat> oh, I, I, I was it just, was it, does it just boil down to different eras? Are there different criteria for different eras to get into the Hall of Fame, or do we base it on what the Hall of Fame was originally well, founded for? There, there has to opened. be there has to be different criteria for the sole fact that you might not get two guys in the majors. Combined to get to 511. I mean, no, you know. I, I, I know people aren't going to be Christy Matthewson right. or this, Cy Young. This isn't I, 1935. I know I know, right. Well, no one's pitching that much. I get that. I right. get that to an extent. But I think you have to look. You have to base these guys by position uh, with guys who are already in. And by doing that, Bagwell's a Hall of Famer. I, my personal opinion, if I had a vote, and I tweeted out what my ballot would have been if I had a vote, which I do every year. Everyone that played baseball from 1987 till 2010 is guilty until proven innocent in my eyes in that it was the steroid era. Everyone did it. Deal with it. You know what? If you look at the worst case scenario, everyone did it. Would Barry Bonds have been great without it? Yes, he was. You know what ticks me off to no end? Bud Selig announces his retirement last year. Everybody starts waxing poetic about his legacy. Let me finish. Yeah. Waxing poetic about his legacy. Why does this guy get a pass? He's the one that was in there when it was going on. There are a lot of people that think that all of this anti-PED rhetoric that's going on now is a direct result of Bud not wanting his legacy to be the guy who let PEDs bring baseball back. There's a lot. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's valid. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying there's a lot of people who have that thought process. Well, I just I, I can't. I can't let the players – look, steroids are illegal. They're against the law mm-hmm. to sell, to buy. You need a prescription mm-hmm. in order to have steroids. You need something wrong with you Correct. and a prescription from a doctor in order to have them. So did the players cheat? Yes. Were there rules against using steroids in baseball? No. But were they illegal in the United States? Yes. 
So it's a very slippery slope, and you can't just point the finger at the players. You have to point the finger at everybody else who let this go on for so long. Mm -hmm. Just because you institute some you know, drug tests now doesn't mean your hands are clean. Your hands, your entire body is as filthy as the players who did the stuff. And I'm sick and tired of hearing about legacy. This guy's legacy is just as clean as his players when he was the commissioner back then. Enough. Stop it. I'm fed up. And I'm not going to sit here and let the players, you know, who did it, uh, you know, you always think about this for a second, okay? You, how, how long can you toil in the minor leagues trying to get up to the majors? Jose Perella has been there for eight years. Okay, so let's year. just say hypothetically, and it's a hypothetical situation, everybody. Ding. Jose Perella, clean as a whistle. Player X next to him is not. Has the needle still hanging out of his arm. And he's going into the manager's office because he just got called up. Jose Perella has the same God-given ability as player X. But with, quote-unquote, Tommy Boy, air quotes, help, he's getting called up to the majors. Perella is still mm -hmm. in the minors. Mm -hmm. Now, if this happens repeatedly, and Perella knows that everybody that's getting called up is getting called up because they're aiding and abetting their God-given talents with nonsense. If you can't beat them, join them. Sooner or later, you're going to take them. You're dealing with players... Way of life. And if someone dangles a $10 million contract in front of you because you're playing better, because you're taking this stuff, and it, there's no drug testing, tell me one red-blooded American male that's not going to do that. Especially one that's toiling in the minor leagues and could get to the next level by doing that stuff because everybody else around them in the clubhouse is doing it. So don't sit here on your high horse... You know who you are, not mentioning any names, and say that you're right and they're wrong. They did what they needed to do to survive at that time. There are certain players who didn't need it. They never needed it. But they did it as well to, A, elongate their careers and get another contract. Mm -hmm. Come on, enough. Those those who don't vote for McGuire and Sosa and guys like that because of the suspicion, <clears throat> nothing was ever proven against them. It's all, you know nothing. I, there's no hard evidence. I come from the wrestling world. It's, it's Alex only cheating Rodriguez. If you get caught. Alex Rodriguez lost a whole year. <clears throat> right. Th there was no evidence. Now Rafael Palmero has failed well, to te had failed a test. Right. I can't say there was no evidence. Rafael Palmero had failed a test. He had lied to Congress about it. All that. Rafael Palmero did not get five percent of the votes in his first year of eligibility and will not make the Hall of Fame. Absolutely fine with me. Barry Bonds has more home runs than any human being on the planet. Not in the Hall of Fame. Not in the Hall of Fame. There's thirty six point eight percent of the electorate this year that thinks he's a Hall of Famer. Not in the Hall of Fame. Now, that's only one of the issues, personal bias or feelings. And that's what makes the voting great, for lack of well, a better word. The, the, but, o the only way 
in my estimation, the only way you could allow <laughs> these guys entrance into there, like I said, I'll say it for the third time, you need something on their plaque that says steroid right. era. So when kids go up there and they see these plaques, they read all the stats and they see at the bottom, dad, mom, what, what, what does that mean? And then the parents could tell them, look, steroids are illegal. Um, there weren't any laws in baseball, though, that yep. told these players not to do it. It was the culture at the time. This guy is one of the guys who was under that cloud of suspicion. He's it, Nothing was ever proven, but you know what? This is the era he played in, and in order to be in here with all these other players, who God <laughs> knows what anybody else did in the Hall of Fame. God knows how many greenies were popped. Who knows? And amphetamines, that... <laughs> There's, there's Starbucks lattes get me through these damn podcasts. <laughs> hey, so I'm juicing right now. Who was it that pitched a no hitter on LSD? I mean, like, uh, you know, let's not forget David and Wells. Perfect I was going to say, talk to David Wells about his perfect game. He'll tell you exactly what he did the night before. But scotch, scotch, scotch. You know, here, here's my two biggest issues with the Hall of Fame voting because there's so many reasons why the system is flawed. My, my, my first issue is who creates the ballot. Is there anyone – two people thought Aaron Boone was a Hall of Famer. about Tony Clark? I, I, I'm going to go with Aaron Boone because Aaron Boone has, for any Yankee fan, probably any Yankee fan under the age of 40 mm-hmm. who wasn't around or co- coherent for the late 70s dynasty, Aaron Boone probably has one of the top five moments in your lifetime Yankee history. Yeah. Okay. And I was there about 10 rows Aaron away from the ball. Boone. Yeah. Aaron Boone hit 263 with 126 homers, 555 RBIs in 1152 games over 12 years. This is a third baseman. This isn't a this isn't Suyoshi Nishioka playing shortstop. Okay, let's pull that name out of thin air. Yes, you did. Okay, this isn't Kaz Matsui. Okay, this is a third baseman at a premium power position. The guy averaged 10 home runs. Uh, yeah, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50-ish RBIs and 96 games over 12 years. Two people thought he was a Hall of Famer. Are you nuts? <laughs> is, is, are, are Bob and Brett Boone Brett in Boone, the electorate? Is, is Brett Boone on that list? I was going to say, is Bob Boone in the electorate? I Maybe. mean, okay. Maybe. <laughs> now, I love Aaron Boone. Just simply for that one home run, the guy could yeah. the guy could be a, a serial killer, and he'd still have a place in my, in my his, you know my sports history lore as the guy that hit that damn home run off Tim Wakefield in two thousand three. Mike Trout in four seasons has ninety eight home runs and three hundred seven RBIs. So can we just put Mike Trout on the ballot yeah, now? Pretty much. I mean, if Mike Trout that re- logic, if yeah. Mike Trout retired tomorrow, would there be two people who think he's a Hall of Famer? Yeah, it, it, it's who? I mean, Tony, Lou, Tony Clark, Lou, serviceable player. We haven't even fixed the NCAA playoff system yet, and we're trying to fix the Hall of <laughs> T- Fame. Tony Clark, good player. Eddie Guardado, everyday Eddie, one of the most durable relief pitchers of all time. He's not a Hall of Famer. Cliff Floyd, serviceable player. Jermaine Die, pretty good. Brian Giles, pretty good. He's got zero. Vote. Why were they even on the ballot? I, uh... Uh, Tony Clark. 262, 251 homers, 824 ribbies, 1,559 games over 15 seasons. Absolutely, at a premium position, first base, absolutely a better player than Aaron Boone. Zero votes for the Hall of Fame. Aaron Boone, two. Wow. Carlos Delgado only got 3.8% of the vote. 
Carlos Delgado. Carlos Delgado, who is got a percentage more than Aaron Boone. That's it. Three point four percent more than Aaron Boone. So two votes is point four percent. Four votes was point seven. Out of five hundred forty nine five hundred forty nine votes, about a third of them do the math. <laughs> he didn't get a lot of votes. Wow. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's amazing. So maybe is it the we can only pick ten guys? Because again, next year, here's the class that's going here's the first timers for next year. Trammell's in his last year next year because he's at fifteen. Okay. McGuire's at ten. Okay. So they're gonna be this is it for them. Okay. So Good luck with the Veterans Committee, guys, because yes, neither of you are getting exactly. it. Ken Griffey Jr., first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Mm-hmm. Trevor Hoffman, pretty interesting case, 600 saves. A compiler. I, I, but, yeah, but I think he gets in. <laughs> Maybe not next year, but he gets in at some point. Chan Ho Park, first South Korean-born player to play in Major League Baseball. Also once had diarrhea, and it was hilarious, <laughs> if you remember that clip. You know what I'm talking about, right? No. I, I, you don't remember that? No. As soon as you said that, I thought of George Brett. Uh, I'll show you on YouTube afterwards. Right, this is Chan Ho Park explaining why he didn't pitch when he was with the Yankees. I don't remember he, that. He, he had some stomach issues. Okay, great. Uh, Jason Kendall, durable catcher, pretty good. Not you know, a whatever. Famer. Jim Edmonds, eight-time gold glove center fielder, pretty good hitter. Yeah. Troy Gloss, eh, pretty good hitter. Yeah. Hall of very good. The rest of the rest of the list from baseball reference of guys that had like a certain criteria, I forget what their criteria is, but really if it, they fall below this criteria, they're not Hall of Famers. Mike Hampton, Luis Castillo, favorite moment of mine from Luis Castillo, dropping, dropping a pop-up. Dropping a pop-up, yeah. Joe Ramos' <laughs> wedding day. He, yes, yes it was. Randy Wynn. Remember when he was what? a Yankee for yes, a week and a half? I do. Yeah. Okay, he's a Hall of Famer or he's eligible. Garrett Anderson, yeah. Billy Wagner, eh. pretty good case. Yeah. Mike Lowell, yeah, decent player. Yeah, Mark Grudzelonic is on there. No, Mike Sweeney, world's former World Series MVP David Eckstein. No, Jeff Weaver. God no. Brad Osmus, Russ Ortiz, uh, Gary Matthews Jr. <laughs> Another one. Yeah. Once released by the Mets. That's that's how yes. good he was as a player. Uh-huh. Christian Guzman. Yeah, but he signed that big yeah. deal. He Christian, got paid. <laughs> Christian Guzman, Jose Guillen, Bob Howry, Benji Molina, Fernando Tatis, Russ Springer. So Piazza and – Fifteen of those guys will be so, on – Yeah. So, so Piazza and so Bagwell, Piazza and Bagwell will be Hall of Famers <laughs> next year because – you know what made Jim Rice a Hall of Famer on his 14th try? There weren't any first ballot Hall of Famers on that ballot. You know what's going to make Mike Piazza and Jeff Bagwell Hall of Famers on their sixth and fourth tries respectively? Because there's one first ballot Hall of Famer on that ballot, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. Maybe, too, if people – enough people vote for Trevor Hoffman for being yeah. being mm-hmm. the all-time saves leader mm-hmm. when he retired and being one of two guys with 600 saves. Right. There's one first ballot Hall of Famer on there. That's it. Junior. And nobody got in two years ago. Not Biggio, who's in the Hall of Fame. Not Bagwell, who'll be in the Hall of Fame next year. Not Piazza, who'll be in the Hall of Fame next year. Nobody. Well, you would hope that they get in next year. Bagwell and Piazza. If they don't get in next year, you got to. You know, I got to be honest. I don't necessarily think Tim Raines is a Hall of Famer. I would not vote for him. 55% of the vote this year, he's got a pretty good shot at it. Yes, he does. I mean, who are you going to vote? I mean, there's probably going to be some schmuck that votes for Christian Guzman. But, I mean, you know, somebody, you know, two people voted for Aaron Boone, two people voted for Tom Gordon. Darren Erstad got a vote. Apparently his dad is on the Hall of Fame committee. Wow. 
I mean, Darren Erstad was a good player. I think you made your point <clears throat> that the system is absolutely there's, positively there's, flawed. There's all kinds of ways. And my last point on Biggio, there's three players in the 3,000 hit club that aren't in the Hall of Fame. One's Pete Rose, who's permanently ineligible, and one's Derek Jeter, who just retired. Should be. So Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Sorry. So, I mean, if you want to talk about numbers or magic numbers, the other one is Palmero, who we talked about earlier. Yeah. The LPGA does it. You win a certain amount of tournaments, you're automatically in the Hall of Fame. But that's a sport where you can play in 30 tournaments a year, and you know, if you need to win 30 tournaments, you could theoretically do it in one year. That would be a Hall of Fame year if you won 30 <laughs> tournaments in one year. Like a Sorenstam, anyone? <clears throat> Thoughts? But, uh, yeah, so... The system is what it is, and you got to deal with it. 550 people have the ability to call you a Hall of Famer, and you need 400-plus to do it. That's the way the system Maybe is. Maybe all those names are on there just so <clears throat> people can make an excuse why they're not putting in these yeah. players and maybe, with suspicions, uh, you know, clouds of suspicion over their heads. And I'll tell you what, for Piazza and Bagwell, 2017 is Manny, Pudge, Posada, Maglio, Ordonez, Vlad Guerrero, and Veritek. Yikes. You want to talk about the PED era and that one, see how many votes this group gets? Yeah. Because Manny's definitely failed a couple of tests, mm-hmm. um, you know, and people have had suspicions about Vlad and Max and gonna, those guys. The so. more and more these guys become eligible, the more and more I think these guys are going to start to get in. Yeah. I do, I do. Chipper Jones is the headliner of the 2018 class. Chipper Jones and Jim Tomey, probably two first ballot Hall of Famers, right there. 2019 might be a first ballot, full first ballot Hall of Famers. Mariano, Todd Helton, Todd Helton. Halliday, Pettit, Oswalt, three pretty good pitchers. Lance Berkman, Michael Young, and Miguel Tejada are in the pretty good players. And then 2020, you know, right Jeter. now it's Jeter and Canerco. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's going to be some tough competition for the next five years. And that's, that's, that's the subtotal of Bagwell's eligibility right there. Yeah, so Bagwell has to get in. That's why. I, next year. Besides the fact that 2020 is Jeter and that's the farthest you can project out, that's the sum total of Bagwell's eligibility. Yikes. Excellent job out of you, Mr. Thank DiPietro. You. You're welcome. Uh, I prepared, too. I know you did. We both did. That's why this podcast is the best. It is. Around. Nothing's going to ever keep you down. Ding. Remind me, too, after, after the show, I want to have a conversation with you to see if you hate going to the gym in January as much as I do. So that's the other thing that's been chapping me for the last week. And literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I love going to the gym all year round. I, it, it's just a part of me. I need to do it. But I mean, if like, I don't do if it, if you hate I'm going in January because there's 900 people there who you're never going to see again. Oh, you mean the the resolutioners? Yeah. Yes, with their brand new workout pants and fresh Planet Fitness T-shirts, walking one mile an hour on the treadmill for ten minutes, and Which that's a brisk workout. Will be put away by the second yeah. week of February. I want to start a gym. January to February. I know you've probably seen this on Facebook. The only time you're open. The people like they, I want to call gym called resolutions. It's a gym January February at a bar for March December. I want to start a gym where it's twenty dollars a month to join, but it's fifty dollars a month if you join in December and January. Yeah. And just let's let's see if you really want to keep coming out. I make money either way. Yeah. Because people throw away, you know, ninety nine bucks is nothing to some people. Like ah, I'll join. That's what Planet Fitness costs for a year. Like in December, if you sign up, it's ninety nine bucks. People just throw that away like it's nothing. No, the, my gym owes me money. Seriously, they do. Well, I owe, I should say I owe them more because I use the heck out of my gym, hmm. and now it just came down to twenty dollars a month. Yes. So now I see that billboard every day. I'm really making out. <laughs> I'm there. I mean, I go to the gym. 
15 times a month, uh, three, three, four times a week, every week, depending. We have one in our basement, in our building too. And when I say we have a gym, I mean, I pay $30 a month for key card access to a room that has two treadmills and an elliptical <laughs> machine and a bow flex. But, uh, you know, they still make those. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Oh my goodness! But we'll have that conversation. Off yeah, here. we've got yeah, more sports yeah. to talk. We've got more sports to talk about in fifteen minutes to fit it in. Yeah. So let's just go to the Giants really quick, I guess. Um, shoehorn them into the last twelve minutes of the podcast. I, I everybody asked me when I uh, saw family for the holidays because hey, Chris is here. Let's talk sports. Why not? Yeah, because you know, <laughs> let's just keep talking. They got about nothing it. else to do. Yeah. Um, should the Giants get rid of Coughlin? Should the Giants do this? Should the Giants do that? Well, obviously they kept Coughlin, and I thought I thought that they should have. Um, and then Mara, the owner, puts the onus on Coughlin to <clears throat> make the changes or keep staff the same, probably with the direction of if it doesn't turn around next year, you're all gone. So it's up to you. What do you want to do? And just recently he fired the – Giunta, the D-backs coach, yep, and he and also Perry fired Perry Fuel, the defensive coordinator. You know, everybody wants Steve Spagnola back. Um, In the least surprising personnel move since ever. Yeah. Uh, Perry um, Fuel was fired. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> here were my thoughts. And Coughlin did uh, – It's it shocked the hell out of me that he fired him. It did because – when the season ended, all he had to say was glowing things about everybody. It wasn't, you know, we had injuries and it wasn't his fault. And then all of a sudden, I, I kind of think that this was Mara behind Coughlin making this decision. He probably brought him in, and this is me speculating, which I shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Said, hey, Tom, somebody's got to go. We're keeping you, but I'm not doing it. You're doing it. So do what you have to do, fire who you have to fire, uh, and away we go. So I don't know who the Giants turn to. I, I know Spags was out there. I know Pepper Johnson is being mentioned. He's with the Bills right now. He's their D-line coach. But he was under – you know, he played under Parcells. He played under Belichick. He won five Super Bowls with those guys, uh, two with the Giants, three with the Patriots. And he also coached under Belichick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wouldn't be a bad mm-hmm. option, and Carl Banks had nothing but glowing things to say about him recently. And, and the fact that he's a giant. And Harry Carson, too, you know. said, you know, they should give Pepper a shot. If these guys are vouching for him and they've been trying to vouch for him to get a defensive coordinator job recently, uh, I wouldn't mind if Pepper Johnson was the defensive coordinator of the Giants. Uh, I, if Spags comes back, he comes back. I, in my In my eyes, though, he's the assistant head coach with the Ravens. And I think he's their D-backs coach. He's their D-backs yeah, coach. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> Secondary coach. Can you go back home in this situation? I mean, do you think you go back to the Giants it's a, and it's a, after? It's a technical promotion. Yeah, and it was after you were a head coach with the Rams. It didn't work out. But, I mean, <laughs> you could have had Lombardi come back and coach the Rams the back one, then. It wouldn't have been any The one plus for Spags if he were to do that. And he's also a Jim Johnson disciple, too. So, I mean, right, he's, Eagles. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um. <clears throat> if it doesn't work next year and Tom Coughlin gets fired, there's a former NFL head coach sitting right there as one of your coordinators. That's kind of the only positive. I mean, John Harbaugh's not going anywhere anytime soon. Do you, do you want to laugh? Sure. At my thought today while I was at the gym, since you brought it up, Rex Ryan as the assistant head coach and the defensive coordinator. 
of the New York football giants. That would be hilarious. That would rule. And <clears throat> they would give Rex the head coaching job after Tom leaves in a couple of years. And would you, could you just imagine if Rex Ryan won a Super Bowl championship with the Giants? With the giants? These are all the thoughts churning around in my head. Robert Wood Johnson the Fourth would be spinning around in his non-grave. I mean, that would spin Jet fans into the ceiling like nothing else. If Rex, they would jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, now, yeah, well, they would follow their friend. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Uh, but think about it for a second. I, I know Rex wants a head coaching job, and I, and I don't think he would take a defensive coordinator job. But just <clears throat> for the sake of S and G's. I came up with that little thought on my in my head. That'd be interesting. Whilst on the stairmaster, and I, I have a lot of friends who are Jeff fans, and I could just see them if if Rex like led the Giants back on defense, and then you know Coughlin steps down, and Rex just steps. <laughs> yeah. Now look, he. But listen, I know it's a joke, but the guy can handle New York. Yep. He the was, guy's a hell of a defensive coordinator. He's a hell of a defensive coach. The players still love them. And and if you look at if you look at all these reporters that follow the Jets, like your Brian Costellos, your guys on the fan, Lepresti, all these head coach interviews they're doing, I hear a lot of these guys saying Rex Ryan's the best candidate out of all the guys they're He may be the head coach of the interview. Atlanta Falcons by the time I edit this. I mean it you know, it's very possible, but it, it, I, it's, it's, I would love for it to happen. It's not going to. It's much less of a. It it's much less of a far-fetched scenario than a lot of things people think about when it comes to those situations. Let's put it that way. It would be interesting. Hey okay. Rex, you're the assistant head coach. You're going to bring the defense back from the dead. When Tom goes away, you're the head coach. Would Chris so Christie still be a Cowboys fan though? Yes. And would he still get crap for it? Yes. See now. Remember we talked about that? We did. And I told you that I had no problem with it. And I don't either. Here's why I do have a problem with it now. Because our good buddy, Oriema, <laughs> posted a picture on Facebook in true Oriema style. It was Christy after the Holding Giants the won the Super Bowl trophy. in 2011 or 2012. January, Possibly February wearing the same sweater he was Possibly wearing on Sunday. Possibly wearing the same sweater he was wearing on Sunday. Holding the Giants Super Bowl trophy. On the podium. That drives me crazy. Governor, wait a minute. Governor Christie, if you're a Cowboy fan, I have no problem with you rooting for your team, doing an awkward bro hug, with which Chris Carlin did a tremendous job on SNY. Can we mention that? Sure. I just did. He reenacted it with a couple members of his crew after a sports night. And I left my rear end off. Yeah, I saw that. It was tremendous. My boy <laughs> Carlin knows exactly what he's doing, and that's why I love the guy. <clears throat> anyway, where was I going with that? Chris Christie holding the trophy. Governor, no problem, no issue. In Jerry Jones, luxury suite, whatever, rooting for your favorite team, no problem with it. If you're still the governor of New Jersey, which I doubt the next time the Giants are anywhere near a Super Bowl, He'd have to be like a hundred. Stop it, sorry, Eagle fan. Sorry. If you ever step foot on that podium and hold that trophy again, then we'll have problems. That's where I draw the line. I don't care if you root for your team. Just don't be a phony baloney politician when it comes to the hometown team winning the title. That's it. 
That's all. The thing about it is he he grew up in North Jersey. He's from North Jersey. So, you know, you would think he would be a Jersey sports fan. Somebody also – Somebody also posted something very, very nail on the head on point from the movie Beer League with Artie Lang. <laughs> that whole soundbite where he says, you like the Cowboys. You grew up 17 minutes away from Giant Stadium and you're a Cowboy fan. I can't say everything right. that was in it, but <clears throat> it was perfect. It See, was the thing about it is, is like he's from North Jersey. I understand it. But technically, they're supposed to be representing the New York Giants, correct? But they play in Jersey, and everybody has this problem with saying, well, why aren't they the New Jersey Giants? Because they represent New York. Well, then he shouldn't be a fan of the Giants or Jets because they don't really represent his home state. That's just a technicality. I know. <laughs> now you're stretching. I know. <laughs> you know what? Hey, whatever. I'm going to be an – you know what? If I went to work for the New York Giants, I'd still be an Eagles fan. There's plenty of Red Sox fans that work here. There's plenty of Mets, Mets. fans that work here. Yeah. Because you grew up in the area – you know, where I grew right. up in southern Connecticut was pretty much the, the Mason-Dixon line in terms of red versus navy blue. It happens. It does happen. We wanted to mention the officials thing, too. I know you, oh, you had that conversation, too. Yeah, really too. quick, really quick, since we're on the NFL. I, I was sitting there watching the Atlanta game. Not the Atlanta game, the Carolina game. Atlanta would have been in it if they yeah. beat Carolina the week before. I probably would have won. And it was a great afternoon with my father. <clears throat> it, you know, we never get to sit and just watch football. And he came up for the holidays, and we sat there watching playoff football. It was nice. And they mentioned – I forget who was doing that game. I'm pretty sure it was ESPN. It was Tarico and Gruden. And they mentioned that the uh, mm-hmm. officiating crew was like an all-star officiating crew. They didn't work you know, together. Joe Buck did the same thing in the, in the Dallas-Detroit game as well. They mentioned how Why? it was like that. Why do they do that? Why isn't it the crews that are together all year round? There's there's something very much to be said for familiarity. Now, broadcasting is a different animal, but I'm going to give you this example. You and I do this podcast. We right. do this podcast for a year. It comes time for award season when we're up for some kind of award, and you say, you know what? I'm going to go bring in Joe Callow, who used to do the Giants podcast with our Big Blue Interactive crew when we did that podcast. Would it probably still be a very good podcast? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Would it be – would you guys have the natural chemistry right away that we would no, have after a year? absolutely no. not. There'd be things you'd miss, things you – you know, differing opinions. It's a different animal. What if Fox said, you know, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are a great team, but Kevin Burkhart and John Lynch really came on this year, and everybody loves Kenny Moose and Goose. So, Joe, this week you're going to work with uh, – you're going to work with Daryl, and we'll throw, uh, we'll throw Pam Oliver as your sideline reporter. We'll take the best of all, you know, we'll take the yeah. best of all three teams. Would it probably still be a good broadcast? Sure. Would it be listening to any one of those three teams? No, because they don't work together. Right. And they you, don't have that familiarity. You want the chemistry that right. the team has built throughout the season. Mm-hmm. It would be like a, a, a team. Yeah. Saying, you know what, we're going to change out U20 with another 20. Um yeah, but it's the playoffs. Yeah, we don't care. We're we're just gonna we're gonna go. We're gonna go with it. And there may be things, you know, I'm not an NFL official and I don't play one on TV. There may be things that, you know, Joe Smith, the back judge for Pete Morelli's crew, does because Jim Jones, the side judge for Pete Morelli's crew, has a bad leg or can't be in position or things. So there may be different responsibilities that guys have above and beyond their job that 
You work with you know, somebody every week on a weekly basis. You hit. know, you know if they have family problems or if they have a, yeah. a an issue with a leg, like you said, or you know can't see very well, which yeah. was the issue with <laughs> with the call that was yeah. overturned. There's a lot of reasons why there's, <sighs> but I, I I think it's you know what you have eleven playoff games, five in each league, and then and then the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So take five teams. They all work two games, and then the best one works the Super Bowl. They grade them a, every week. Just make take it a the reward. Top, yeah, take the top six teams. See, baseball, it's different because when you get to the playoffs, they add umpires. Right. So you have to add, you have to add crew right. to add to the – you want an all-star team to work, at, work an all-star game? Let them go work the Pro Bowl. See if, see if the umpires start pulling out of the Pro Bowl like quarterbacks <laughs> do. <laughs> they, don't, they don't call any penalties in the Pro Bowl anyway, so you might as well – Right. Unless it's egregious, we're gonna, we're going to wrap this up with the with the cowboy call in a second. But before I forget, I, I told my buddy uh, Glennie Fredericks, who I played against in baseball in high school uh, at a rival high school, I'd get this um, Facebook <laughs> comment he put in about Pedro Martinez. Uh, he said very eloquently, "If you didn't vote for Pedro Martinez, you're out. Make it simple. You don't vote anymore. There's no debate on a player like this. So if you didn't vote for him, you literally don't know what a Hall of Famer is." <laughs> So I just told him I'd get that in, and I wanted to get that in. Let's see. Four, six, eight, nine. Randy, Fifteen people did not vote for Randy Johnson, but there were nine votes for Troy Percival, Aaron Boone, Tom Gordon, and Darren Erstad. That's unbelievable. They were two of the most dominant pitchers of that era. That might be the biggest problem, the ballot, um, that you only have ten guys. Yeah. Because there's 15 guys. I guarantee you that all 15 of those people that did not check Randy Johnson's name on that ballot – Said, you know, everybody else is going to vote for him. I think Bonds or McGuire or Sheffield or Edgar Martinez or whoever, deserve, they need the votes. But then, as, as many people have mentioned, if everybody thought that, then Randy Johnson would have gotten zero votes and would be off the ballot. And speaking of Facebook, I did a little mm-hmm. research, went to the NFL rule book. <laughs> yes, you did. Actions that constitute defensive pass interference, Cowboys fans, include, but are not limited to, first letter A, contact by a defender who is not playing the ball, and such contact restricts the receiver's opportunity to make the catch. Now, there's the picture. So you mean somebody who's all up in your grill face guarding you and the ball's about to hit him in the back numbers? That's not legal? So You don't say. Uh, let me get this straight. In every other DPI that I've seen in that instance where a player did not get his head around on a catchable ball by a receiver, it was a flag. And the ball was marked at the spot of the foul. I shot the clerk. Hit it. I shot the clerk. I'm buying a chess thing. Anyway. It's what it is. Look, Cowboy fans, you won the game. I'm not a bitter Giant fan. You know, the, 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 the Lions scored three points the entire second half. I get it. That's not the point I'm making. Some of you people are so damn stubborn and just can't look at facts. That was pass interference. And if it happened anywhere else, it would have been pass interference. And Blandino being on a Cowboys party bus doesn't help your situation. Yeah, that's a little... That's a little messy. That's a little shaky. That's a little messy. Now, this is radio pretty much, so you can't see my face, but the official who threw the flag was pretty damn confident that that was pass interference, and the side judge probably came in, and you could judge by Lou's reaction to this. (laughs) 
just shook his head violently back and forth. Gee, Wally, what are we doing? Yeah, and, you know, Des Bryant, I don't need him 15 yards out onto the field arguing with the official either. The the bastion of uh, good good behavior, Des Bryant. They won the game. Detroit Detroit couldn't play in the second half. They won the game. You won the game. Detroit stunk in the second half. They stunk. But they got jobbed. The Lions got jobbed. And I just watched Matt Stafford. He was mic'd up for the game for NFL Films. Yeah, we can't really re- repeat No, what we can't. He didn't say anything off color. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He just said, that's, that's, that's unbelievable. You know that, Pete. You know that's unbelievable. I've never seen one overturned. You guys announced it. <laughs> I've never seen in my life watching NFL football an official go <laughs> on the microphone and say, pass interference, 54 defense, spot of the foul, first down. Hold on a second. <laughs> no. <laughs> J-K-L-O-L. Exactly. For the kids out there. April Fools. Yes, April Fools. It was horrendous. It was like, oh, God, it was gut-wrenching. I'm not even a fan of either team, and I didn't want Dallas to lose. I'm not going to sit here and say I wanted Dallas to lose. I'm actually kind of <clears throat> – I would. My, my fellow Giant fans might get a little annoyed with me, but – Romo has been, and I know he throws the late interceptions here, there, and everywhere. 28 comeback victories. He's tied with Eli since 2006, I think. And I think that was Romo's first season as the quarterback. But since then, 28 come from behind. The guy's clutch. And he's playing pretty much with a broken back. Yeah. You know what? As someone who doesn't have a dog in the hunt right now, I will tell you that I'd rather watch Dallas Green Bay and Carolina Seattle than Detroit Green Bay and or Detroit Seattle and Carolina well, Green Bay. I think that's what the NFL wanted to see too. <clears throat> you know, it's a much better narrative. Yes, I'd rather see the matchups as they are than what they would have been. But they got jobbed. They got jobbed. They got jobbed, they got jobbed on that one call, but they also jobbed themselves for scoring three points in the second half. And now you have Matthew Stafford can take over Romo's choker label because he's 0-17, 0-18 against winning teams on the road. That, and you also have Andy Dalton, who is yeah. who tied Warren Moon for futility yeah. he's also. The, he's the 1990s Buffalo Bills of current NFL quarterbacks. Pretty much four straight uh, first-round exits. This one, not so much his fault. I mean, if you had to throw to the... You know, the, the wooden target that Scott Bakula had to throw to at necessary roughness was your number two receiver, you would have trouble <laughs> oh, you'd have trouble doing a lot too. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. And you know what? I, the AFC matchups are even better than the NFC matchups. I never thought I'd say I mean luck against Peyton Manning and you got Tom Brady going up against the Ravens. Who own him in Foxborough in the playoffs. You you can't ask for two better matchups from the it AFC. It doesn't it doesn't matter what the AFC championship game is. It's not going to be a bigger story than the semifinals. Even if it's Brady yeah. versus Manning 17, 17 think, yeah. or even if it's Luck versus Flacco, yeah. which would be colossal upset city. Uh-huh. This right here is this is the, the, the next week's game is the icing on the cake for the AFC. And that would be that would be in Indianapolis if it was Ravens. It would be in Indianapolis. Yeah, the Ravens were a wild card team. Okay, Ravens Colts would be in Indy. Okay. Yep. All right. I think that about wraps it up. That about wraps it up. Yeah. Next week we'll talk about uh, college football again, maybe. A little national championship. We, you know, this Cardell is... Jones, he ain't there to play school. He's there to win a national title. I said it. Mm-hmm. He looked good. He looked good. But I also said that 
uh, Saban would figure something out. I don't think he figured anything out. <laughs> What's funny is somebody posted on Twitter or Facebook too that uh, SportsCenter or Nike or s- some sports brand posted out a picture on Twitter and it was like, retweet if you think uh, Ohio State will win the national title, favorite if you think Oregon will win, and Braxton Miller favorited the tweet. Probably just favorited it because it mentioned Ohio State, and he, right. wasn't, even he thinking. wasn't even thinking. But, of course, somebody jumped all over Even he thinks Oregon's going to win the national title. Wow. I'm like, well, that's great. That's funny. That's the world we live in. Well, Jameis Winston will be in the NFL. It's the, the same world we live in with the guy on Twitter who, when I made a typo about yesterday's all-left-handed hitter Yankees lineup, he's like, maybe one of them could play right field because I put two guys at DH. Because it was so cold in the office and my fingers were freezing. I made a typo. Thanks for calling it out. Excuse me, Twitter. I just like to interject here really quick before we sign off. We make mistakes. Mm-hmm. All of us do. And some of us mm-hmm. are under deadlines. Mm-hmm. And we hit send. And then we say, oh, but you know what? We're not perfect. Mm-hmm. If you're so perfect, why don't you do the job? Yeah, and I'll sit home and watch The Price is Right and make fun of you. Price is Right is fun. Shut up, please. Thank you. Did you know that, though? Did you know that with the signing of Stephen Drew now, the Yankees can put out a legitimate, with no one out all of position, lefties. all left-handed hitting lineup? Because you got two lefties in Beltran in the outfield. you got two lefties up the middle and two switch hitters on the corners. McCann's a lefty and Jones is a lefty DH. You think Girardi would do that just to mess with people? Absolutely. <laughs> you know he's going to do Opening it. day. You I wouldn't be surprised if that lineup's out there. You know he's going to do it. So wait, let, who would it be? Well, you could you could have Gardner, Ellsbury, Gardner, Beltran hitting Ellsbury, one, two, Beltran. three. Yeah, that's three. Tex hitting four. Right, is a switch hitter. McCann five. Catcher right. is your lefty. Catcher is the lefty. Headley right. hitting sixth. Third switch base. hitter third base. Uh-huh. Jones hitting seventh. DHing left. Uh huh. Drew and Gregorius up the middle hitting eight nine. Wow. No one is even out of like batting order position either. It's not like I have like you know. By the way, I love the yeah. Garrett Jones pickup. It's not like I have McCann hitting ninth or Ellsbury hitting fourth. But... I, I don't know what the rotation is going to amount to. I don't know what the injuries <laughs> hold for them. But Cashman's doing a job. I'm <laughs> saying it now. I'm saying it in January. He He's actually able to go out and try to piece together something that might come together. Yep. Could be an epic disaster. But it, it could, could be. But it could be an epic overachievement. It and that's what we're going for. Yes. And, you know, he's doing the job. So I got to give props to Cash. Anyway. We can talk more about that next week. Absolutely. We'll welcome we, Stephen Drew Hey, back. we got plenty of time. I am going to Detroit tomorrow with the Nets. <sighs> well, Josh Smith isn't there anymore. So, you know, Detroit's they're playing They're 7-0 good. And without him. Unbelievable. Ever since they got rid of that guy, they're 7-0. and Maybe Houston should just find a way to trade Josh Smith to the Knicks to see if they can actually, like, lose the five games they've already won. Oh, boy. Knicks tank. Hashtag Knicks tank. Knicks tank. No more Knicks tape. Knicks tank. They signed a guy out of the D-League to a 10-day contract. I'm pretty sure he wasn't even actually on the team. But, you know, whatever. He played. He played. He's got a jersey and everything. It's great. He does. We can get a jersey. Disaster. <laughs> anyway, yes, they are a disaster, and the Nets are right behind them, too. Uh, we have plenty to talk about. I mean, we could keep going for another hour, but we have things to do. So uh, we hope you enjoyed this. Lou and I um, love doing it. We hope you love listening to it. And uh, remember, you could download it at iTunes, uh, subscribe to it, or you could go to yesnetwork.com and take a look at the archives. If this is your first time listening to it. We've got plenty of nonsense that you could listen to. Um, There's archives like three co-hosts back. Yeah. 
Yeah, me and Oriyama, me and Doug, and now me and Lou. Yeah. So, and a couple of Christian solo projects. Yes, which I was very angry at that time. Mm. Just screaming in my office, people walking by and wondering what the heck is going on with me. But, hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you, the listeners. So, uh, till next time, for Lou DePietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. Adios. <laughs>